In the last episode, episode 4 of the second season, I started talking about symmetry, one of the three components of the who you are part of the uh, model of uh, trustworthiness. I thought I was going to be done in, in one episode, but I stopped after 30-something minutes and uh, I'm going to continue here today. So just to kind of put it in perspective again, uh, the model, the trustworthiness model is made of six components. Three of them are the who you are. Three of them are the what you do. In the who you are, the third component is symmetry. What I talked about in the last episode is the having being on the same side symmetry in terms of we're on the same side uh, we're on the same side we share the vision we share the mission or we're on the same side the opposite side from a common enemy i talked about the symmetry of contributing versus getting i talked about reciprocity today i'll talk about fairness Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of The Trust Show. I'm your host, Yoram Solomon, a researcher of trust and the author of The Book of Trust. In this educational podcast, I will challenge you to think differently about trust through the eight laws of trust and the six components of trustworthiness. But I will not only teach you about trust, I will also give you actionable advice on how to build trust, be trusted, and know who to trust. Because the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Chris Voss was the FBI leading global hostage negotiator, and he wrote a book called Never Split the Middle. And he talked about trust to some extent uh, in the context of negotiations. It's a book about negotiations. And it actually made me think about fairness because fairness was, was an important part of uh, how you build trust with a hostage taker. And I'm not going to talk too much about his book, uh, read his book, it's, it's really great. But I will talk about in a later episode, the differences between building trust for a one-time transaction, like a sale, uh, versus building trust for an ongoing relationship, because those are different and you're going to be focused focusing on different things. But that's for a later episode. For now, I found an experiment that he was doing that I really liked, and I decided to do it until something went wrong. Let me tell you about the experiment. So what he did was he said uh, he was teaching a class, and he split everybody to teams of two. So I did the same thing. You decide who's number one and who's number two. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to give the two of you $10. I'm actually going to give it to the number one. But... Number one has to decide how much of it they're going to give number two, the second person. It has to be a full number in, in dollars, so it has to be uh, anywhere between zero and, and $10. You can decide that you're not giving anything to the other person, or you can decide that you're giving 
the entire $10 to the other person. But it has to be in multiples of $1. So it's zero, it's nothing, it's $1, $2, $5, $10, anything between zero and $10 in whole dollar uh, uh, increments. You decide how much you're gonna give them. Number two, you need to decide if you accept it. Now, what does it mean if you accept it? Here's the deal. If you accept it, then you get the split. So if number one said to number two, I'm gonna give you $4, number two said, yes, I'm gonna give number one the $10, number one needs to give number two the $4. There is no, uh, oh, I decided not to give you after the fact. Uh, the decision is final. So, you know, whether you negotiate, whether this is a one-time deal, and I typically do that as a one-time deal, and you end up with deciding how much, number one, you decide how much you're going to give, number two, number two, you decide if you accept it or not. If you accept it, you get the split as you decide, as number one offered and number one to accept it. If number two, you decide not to accept it, you get nothing, both of you get nothing, absolutely nothing. So after I explained the rules, after Chris Voss explained the rules, he said, make the offer, make only one offer. They made the offer. By the way, there's no splitting after the fact. So you can't just say, oh, I'm going to take the $10 and then we're going to split it, or I'm going to give you the $10 and then we're going to split it later. No, whatever you decided, that is the split. The idea here is to show that people would typically reject or some people would reject the lower offer. And uh, you can imagine why they reject it, but, but I'll get there. So I did that experiment. I did that in a workshop uh, for the first time, the second time, and, and I would ask the question, and uh, really you, you get people that uh, made a $1 offer. Now, $1 offer is an economic decision. To accept a $1 offer is an economic decision. What I found was that 72% of the people who were made an offer of $1, so the other person offered you $1, they get to keep nine if you say yes, 72% accepted it. You know why? Because $1 is better than zero. It's an economic decision. As I said, $1 is better than zero. So I would run the experiment uh, just like uh, Chris Voss did. So I would um, give them the rules. And then at the end, I would ask who made an offer of $1 or who was given an offer of $1. They all raised their hands, uh, all of those who the other person gave them a uh, $1 offer. The next question is, how many of you rejected the offer? And you would have a few hands up. Uh, I rejected the $1 offer. Why did you reject the $1 offer? Can you guess? It was not fair. I am not willing to take $1 when the other person takes nine. You remember, it goes back to my uh, symmetry in how much we get, right? So you're getting $9, I'm only getting $1. This is not fair. And uh, as a result, I'm rejecting it. I would rather take zero than see you take nine when I take one. One time, things went wrong. And they went wrong simply because I asked the question in the wrong order. 
So instead of first asking, raise your hand if you were made, you were giving an offer of $1 and then you get, uh, you know, I don't know how many hands will be up there because, you know, the other person realizes that for you, a dollar is better than nothing. And for 72% of the people, it was. And then the second question would have been, uh, keep your hand up if you rejected the offer and a few of them would reject it. And the reason was it wasn't fair. But I asked the question in the wrong order. So my first question was actually, how many of you rejected the order, the offer? I got a few hands up. And then I asked, what was the offer? So the first person, hand up. You rejected the offer. Yes. What was the offer? One dollar. Why did you reject it? Can you guess? It wasn't fair. Wasn't fair to me. Second person, you rejected the offer. Yes. What was the offer? One dollar. Why did you reject it? Wasn't fair. But wait, a dollar is better than zero. Doesn't matter. Fairness was more important to me. Keep that in mind. Fairness was more important to me. Person number three, did you reject the offer? Yes. What was the offer? Ten dollars. Wait, what? What was the offer? Ten dollars. Well, I, I don't get it. She offered you $10. Yes. And you said no. Correct. Why? Because it wasn't fair to her. Wait, I was totally blown away. And so I realized that, that I stumbled onto something and, and I started researching that further and, and I did a survey. Again, this is not a PhD level dissertation uh, quality uh, sir study, but I did a survey and I asked people, I, I explained the rules and I said, the other person offered you $1, $2, $5 or $10. Would you accept the offer? Here's what I found. And that was really, really interesting. 72%, as I said before, said that they accept a $1 offer. They would accept a $1 offer. They would accept, they accepted any offer. Those were the economic decision makers. They just realized that even a dollar is better than zero. 13% rejected both the $1 and $2 offers. I told them about four offers, $1, $2, $5, and $10. So 13% rejected the one or $2. Why? Because it wasn't fair. Who wasn't it, fa who wasn't it fair to? To me. It wasn't fair to me. Those are the self-fairness people. Then I realized that 5% rejected the $10 offer. Here's the interesting thing. They did not reject the $1 offer. They did not reject the $2 offer. They did not reject the $5 offer. They only rejected the $10 offer. Why? Because it wasn't fair to the other person. It wasn't fair to the other person. So this I called this group the altruistic fairness people. Those are the people that fairness, they care about fairness towards the other person way more than they care about fairness to themselves. I know a few people like that. My wife is one. Her parents are two more. They would care more about this being fair to me than fair to them. The last 10% are what I would call the uh, 
fairness or symmetry fanatics, uh, fairness fanatics. Those are my symmetrical fairness people. They would not accept a $1 or a $2 offer because it's not fair to them, but they will also reject a $10 offer because it's not fair to the other person. So to them, fairness has to be 50-50. Fairness has to be, you get exactly the same as I do. I didn't try it with $4 or $6. I only tried it with $5. So I don't know if they would accept it four to six, but just asking the question, asking people the question, I would get uh, this. The, it had to be split right in the middle. This is these are people who care about fairness in a very, very symmetrical way. So I started using this experiment to kind of illustrate, demonstrate the importance of fairness to trust. And I did that, I, I do that in my workshops and I did that once with a group of, and this was like a month, a month and a half, uh, less than a month and a half before the World uh, Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. Uh, that was one of my last full day workshops uh, right before the pandemic. And it was to a healthcare group and not just a healthcare group, but it was the top 180, I believe, nurses. So I asked, I did that exercise with nurses. Here is what I found that was amazing to me. I asked the question again in the wrong way, and, and, and it's not the wrong way anymore. Now, now this is the way I ask it, and, and it's the right way. The first question that I asked was, how many of you rejected it? And quite a few raised their hands. What was the offer? $10. Second person, what was the offer? $10. Third person, what was the offer? $10. Fourth person, what was the offer? $10. And that was amazing to me. It was amazing to me for two reasons. One is that so many made a $10 offer. I never get in a workshop so many people offering to give everything that they get. The $10 offer to give it to the other person. I, I never get that, that level. But, but I also never get that level of if you were offered $10, you would not accept it. You would reject it. You know, it's amazing. We went through a pandemic. Uh, the front line, when I served in military, front line was, you know, the line where on the other side, people are shooting at you. And uh, if you cross it, they shoot at you. Well, sometimes they shoot at you even before you cross it. That's where the front line is. During the pandemic, the front line was somewhere else. And the people who were between us and the front line, the people in the front line, was healthcare, the healthcare people. It was the nurses and it was the doctors. It was everyone around the healthcare industry. And I felt very comforting during this pandemic to know that the people in the front line are people who care about fairness for me. They care about things to be fair for me more than fair to themselves, and I wrote an article about that uh, right after uh, I did that that one specific workshop. Uh, more recently, I did another workshop for a healthcare organization. Pretty much same results: a lot of ten-dollar offers, a lot of rejections for ten-dollar offers because it was not fair to the other person. 
I did promise in the last episode, uh, in the beginning of the last episode, that while talking about symmetry, I will also talk about symmetry in finding a partner, specifically a partner for a new venture. I started several companies in the past and I started them with partners and uh, I can tell you that some of them went terribly wrong and some of them were successful. And it, it is important, one of the things that I found out uh, and, and if you are starting a business and you are thinking about bringing a partner, it is important that you think about the symmetry in the relationship between you and the partner, because that symmetry will build trust. And trust is so important in the early stage of a startup when everything is on the line. So what does this symmetry mean? First of all, it's the level of commitment. Are we committed, are you and I committed at the same level to the success of this startup, of, of this new venture? Are we going to invest the same amount of time? You know, in one case that did not work well, my partner was um, just not willing to spend the time. He was working full time. I was not. I, I was putting my full time my full professional time into the business. He was not willing to do that. And guess what? No trust. I did not trust him because he always had this plan B, right? It wasn't even a plan B. That was his plan A. The startup was his plan B. For me, the startup was plan A. And that's important. That symmetry of this startup is plan A for both of us is important. Neither one of us has a... Uh, uh, has a safety net and he had a safety net because he was working in a place I was not I did not have a safety net another relationship that did work well a partnership relationship was with a partner when we were actually and, and this is how I met that partner we went to law school together so this was while we were at law school we both knew that there's law school and we have to go and that symmetry in the relationship. So it wasn't a hundred percent commitment because we had to go to law school, but because we both had to go to law school, that was a symmetrical relationship from a and a time investment perspective. Could be the investment, simply money, the amount of money. You know, I have more money, you have less money, and so I'm going to put more money, and you can't afford to put as much as I can. Well, either I decide that I'm going to be limiting what I put to the same level that, that you put, but, but even then I'm going to have an issue with that because we can put more, or at least I know that I can put more than you can, and therefore that's an issue for me. I, I'll put it the other way around. Imagine if you had more money to invest in our mutual startup or new venture, and I am not going to put as much. It's one thing, by the way, if I can't, it's another if I won't. If let's say that you and I are financially in the same place, but you're willing to put more money into the venture than I do, that's an asymmetry. That's a lack of symmetry in the investment. And as a result, you're not going to trust me as much as if I would put the same level of investment as you are. It is how we make decisions. If we're symmetrical in how we make decisions, so, you know, it's a 50-50% partnership. A decision has to be made by both of us. And there's a, a statement that, that I say about partnerships where, you know, one of the partners says, I'm going to keep 51%. And I've been in cases like this when one of the partners said, 
I'm, I'm going to take 51%, you take 49%, or even 50.1% and you take 49.9%, or or 50.001%. You know where I'm going with that. The way I refer to the one with uh, less than 50%, even slightly less than 50%, which means that I can make decisions, my decisions count more than yours, I don't need you to agree with me to make a decision. What I call the other person, the one with slightly less than 50%, they are an employee with stock, employee that owns 50% of the money of, of the company, but it's not a partner. It is not a partner. So I'm a big believer of 50-50% partnership, but do not jump into it until you know that this is a symmetrical relationship. Don't jump into it until you know that you can trust the other person and until the other person knows that they can trust you. I cannot emphasize how important it is to have that level of symmetry and to have a high level of trust with a partner before you start on this venture. This can affect the rest of your life. In the last two episodes, I talked about symmetry. Symmetry is one of the three components of the who you are part of my trustworthiness model. It is the situational, a perspective-based component. It, it is more objective than subjective. I talked about the three uh, main parts of symmetry. One of them is being on the same side. Uh, with the other person that you want to trust or you want to be trusted by. It is the symmetry of your relationship, uh, the give uh, versus uh, the give or, or contribute uh, versus take or get. Um, it is reciprocity. It is fairness that, that you believe that your relationship is fair. And uh, I even added a little part about symmetry in finding a partner for a new venture. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll make sure to answer it or find the answer to it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. That's Y-O-R-A-M at thetrustshow.com. If you like this podcast episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get new episodes. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings would help others who are looking for a podcast just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my online course at trustedatwork.com. Find my books on Amazon or go to my website, yoramsolomon.com. And remember one thing. The answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening.